You are listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. We are an organisation pursuing real learning, original scholarship and thoughtful living in a dying age. Welcome to another episode of From Under the Rubble. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Fleming. Dr. Fleming, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure. It's, uh, we've been away for a while. Yes, we have. This is our first episode after the Summer Symposium, and we'll recap that in another future episode, maybe a housekeeping episode, just to discuss how that went. In the meantime, we have to discuss the pulling down of statues in an attempt to erase our own history. Dr. Fleming, I suppose I'm reflecting my own confusion. I, I don't live in the United States, and I try to avoid watching the news whenever possible. And so uh, I, nor- I, I am gleaning the news from the various outrages that I'm seeing on Facebook. So people say they're outraged about this or that, you know, because it's a, a way to virtue signal. What yeah. has inspired this apparent resurgence of white nationalism? Yeah, that's a uh, a very good question because the the I think the operative word is uh, apparent. I uh, you know I, I've been around this country a lot. I've lived in various parts of it, and uh, I personally uh, have not really witnessed or experienced an upsurge in in, in white nationalism. I don't even think that, uh, apart from FBI informants within old shattered organizations like the Ku Klux Klan I, uh, or the, the the little girly boys at alt right, I, I don't think there is much white nationalism in the country. Now, if there is an upsurge in outspokenness among normal people, I'm not talking about the normal people don't go out and demonstrate. You know, normal people don't don't tear down statues or plow cars into crowds and, and try to kill people. Civil disobedience is the act of the mentally deranged, in my view, and it it should be treated as treason. But in talking about just the kind of people I know in Rockford and and around the country, people who send me emails. There is a sense in which people are pretty much fed up with a regime that uh, in the name of helping minorities, illegal immigrants, uh, sexual minorities, gen- you know, transgenders, African-Americans, in the name only of helping these people, the regime provides hundreds of thousands of jobs for white, white-collar workers and uh, increases the power of government agencies over everyday life, over our children, over the elderly, over just about anybody who wants to, anybody wants to start a business. Whatever it is you want to do, you have to deal with some empowered government employee. All right, so that there and and this under Barack Obama, you know, and his two attorneys general. This um, this became this privileging of the non-majority uh, became uh, in, pervasive. I mean, so for example, if somebody flew a Confederate flag to honor his ancestors, he became a demon. Whereas if the new Black Panther Party beat up people trying to vote Republican in Philadelphia, then they were not even investigated. So this incredible double standard, which which went on for eight years, and by the way, which was present under the Clintons and under under uh, the Bush administration, this incredible double standard, you know, which was aimed at hurting essentially the majoritarian middle class. You know, people people get upset about that. 
But I, I don't think that has a great deal to do with uh, its, the events in Charlotte, much less the uh, attack around the country on uh, Confederate symbols. Now, I know you're not one for conspiracy theories, Dr. Fleming, but I have uh, seen some stories about the, how this could have been a provocateur event. Do you give that any kind of credence? Well, you, you always have to assume that uh, the U.S. government has agents in any organization or any movement which they have any reason or even no reason to fear, but if that, that they don't like. So, for example, uh, since the 1950s, the various Klan organizations were heavily penetrated by the FBI. It was estimated at one point that uh, Klan organizations, that a majority of the members were, were informants to one degree or another. Now, to be an FBI informant uh, in the Klan or the Nazi party or whatever, often what it means is they get you on something. They get you with child pornography. They get you with an illegal weapon. They get you with uh, having threatened somebody, or it could be you know a drug bust. It could be anything, and then they say, "Look, we're not asking you to betray the ideals of your movement, but you know you must know the bad actors in this otherwise okay movement. So if you would just agree to collaborate with us, we'll help you clean up your movement and get rid of personal enemies, for example. But in you know, but you and in return." Uh, we'll just uh, we'll just put your file aside, and there won't be any prosecution. This goes on and on and on. We know, for example, in the case of uh, Randy Weaver, who was not a white na- supremacist, but a, but a white separatist. You know, he wants to move out to the Idaho and 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 you know live with uh, you know, other people who look like they're uh, refugees from uh, 19th century Appalachia. So they tricked. They tricked him. They trapped him into sawing off a shotgun like one quarter inch below the legal length, and then they had him on a, on a weapons violation charge. And so they tried to twist him. And Trav, uh, uh, Weaver was apparently willing to be twisted, but his wife held out so, uh, and, and forced and, and told him not to do it. So they came. They attacked his home. They shot his dog, and when they, when his 14-year-old son came out to see who had shot his dog, he had a gun in his hand. Naturally, once people are shooting your, your, your animals, they shot him. They shot uh, uh, Randy Weaver's wife in the throat, a, a, a pro-life American. I remember, I'll never forget Joe Sobrin talking about how Lon Horayuchi just made a mistake. You're not a top uh, government sniper that makes a mistake and shoots a woman with a baby in her arms thinking it's a weapon. Okay, she was murdered. Vicki Weaver was murdered. So, but they, she was murdered, and she and her. And by the way, her husband got you know what was uh, was acquitted on, on on charges. The point was that they were recruiting him. They were blackmailing him into working for the government, and it blew up in their face. And you know, just as the the. Uh, the David Koresh affair blew up in their face, and they had to kill a bunch of children to protect them from child abuse. So let's not kid around and think that it's just conspiracy theories, because this is routine what the government what the government has done. And but it's not just government; it's you know private agencies. You know the the, the George Soros's Open Society Forum we know has uh, has been consistently paying anti-Trump demonstrators. 
anti-immigration, uh, well, pro-immigration demonstrators, basically anti-capitalist demonstrators. So, and that there's always money out there. And one of the things you can do is, so, so there are a bunch of uh, uh, crazies who are talking wild. Well, what if you pay for them to go to Charlottesville? Anything can happen. But it's also true that America has its fair share of crazy people. And, uh, and there are cynical people like uh, some of the kids at all, right, who want to manipulate them. And so they, they because it gets you in the news. And that, that has essentially been the strategy of far-right groups in America is to get themselves in the news so they can collect money. And one of, you, one of the ways of doing that is you claim you're the real conservative or you claim you're the center of the New York Times and Washington Post. Well, they love this because, you know, they've got these uh, crazy people saying wild things. And they say, see, this is what Donald Trump, this is what the conservative movement, this is what Pat Buchanan is really all about. And don't think that the that the kook right groups that do this don't know what they're doing they know perfectly well that they are harming whatever cause they pretend to believe in by promoting themselves and so there's a lot of a lot of corruption a lot of self-promotion but uh, but you know I, I don't think much of this really reflects any uh, widespread desire in the American populace to to uh, to have a pogrom against uh, persons of color. Well, and I think that the media plays their role as well, Dr. Fleming, because it's made to seem like a much bigger deal than it is because there's, you know, a hundred news cameras there uh, yeah. filming and, from and, every and, angle, and maybe it's ten people, you know? Yeah, yeah. We know how, for example, they take uh, a pro-life demonstration of three-quarters of a million and make it look as if it's only a couple of dozen crazy people, but then, but then uh, the, a million-man march, which only has 50,000 people, is reported as the largest march in the history of Washington, D.C. So, yeah, and, the, and also, partly, of course, this is just the incredible uh, left-wing Marxist bias of the American media, but it's partly also, in the old days, we'd say they have to sell newspapers. Today, they have to sell advertising, and so building up these uh, monsters and myths and bugbears is an important part of what they do, and it's the whole existence of an organization like the Southern Poverty Law Center. Long ago, the Southern Poverty Law Center ran out of uh, ammunition for any any real purpose. I mean, they went after the Klan, they went after the Nazis, but those people had nothing. So then they started going after mildly Southern patriotic uh, a- academics. People with impeccable reputations who've never joined uh, uh, any kind of hate group, who have no bad relations with persons of color or with anybody else. And yet these people were talking, oh, these pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing intellectuals who are at the, at the core of a new, violent, southern, racist, neo-Confederate movement. Well, they, all, they made it all up, but it's, it's good for fundraising. Hmm. Well, we... We then see the media asking for a response from the president. And again, if you were an advisor, if he, if this man were actually measured enough to bring in someone like a Dr. Thomas Fleming into, into the Oval Office to ask for advice, what would you have advised him to do? Mr. President, this is how you should respond to the crisis. Uh, my first uh, response would have been uh, to tell him, don't say anything. And then when in a press conference you're asked to say, the president of the United States is right now trying to prevent a confrontation which could involve nuclear weapons with North Korea. 
What goes on in Charlottesville, North uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, is a matter for the state police, for the governor, for the local mayor, for the it is for them. It is not the job of the president of the United States to go around looking for trouble on issues that really the president doesn't understand. We had eight years of that with Barack Obama shooting his mouth off about, you know, tiny little events like a, uh, a uh, uh, when Lewis Henry Gates got into trouble with the police in Cambridge, Massachusetts, because he was a wise guy, and that then the police are denounced by the president who had, who had less knowledge of it than anyone who read a daily newspaper. And so the time that really this this has to stop and it would be a great sign of leadership in Donald Trump to say, I deplore all violence and hate mongering. I deplore the extremism on the right and the left, but I'm not going to comment on any specifics of what's going on because I just know what I read in the newspaper. And God knows that's that's not accurate. And so, in fact, Trump's instinct, in other words, was perfectly right. Just shut up. This isn't any of his business. This is petty, anti-trivial stuff. And instead, of course, then his his weakling staff got got frightened by uh, the attacks in the press. Of course, they're going to. I don't care if what if Trump reveals that he uses tooth powder instead of toothpaste, it's going to be declared an, uh, a national crisis and an outrage. Did you have a chance to listen to his remarks? Um, I, I read them in the newspaper. Yeah. What, what did you think of them? Well, you mean his, uh, his, his reference to the alt-left and his condemnation of violence on both sides? Yes, I mean, if you're going to have to say something, what he said is true. You've got crazy, you've got cynical, crazy, violent people on the, on the extremes in this country. And most of the trouble is in fact provoked by, uh, by the left that really wants to provoke trouble. The days in which the Nazi party, uh, under George Lincoln Rockwell or the Ku Klux Klan could mount an actual serious demonstration, those, those, those days belong to my childhood. That, that they, they, they simply have no credibility anymore. So yeah, yeah, the and I I thought the phrase alt left was great. Hmm. Well, uh, uh, he's nothing if not a uh, a master of of getting up and and talking in front of the press. It may not <laughs> may not always be the right thing to say. So, as you say, he should have done nothing. What about the police? Uh, as you say, this was a matter for the state police, local police. Did you feel that there was an adequate response there, Doctor Fleming? No, because the you know the both the uh, the state authorities in both Virginia and North Carolina in in Durham where they were pulling were destroying public property in essence, uh, pulling down uh, uh, Confederate statues. Uh, the the police were told to stand down. I don't blame the policemen in charge, but they were essentially told uh, you know not to protect the safety or civil rights of the uh, of the uh, pro-Confederate or pro-white demonstrators. Now, this is this is a real problem. Again, you know, with Governor Terry McAuliffe. And by the way, Virginia, what a shame that this great state, the greatest state in the union, historically, the most important state of the union, that it would elect this two time, this this small time Clintonite crook one of their fixers and organizers. It's like having Sidney Blumenthal as your governor. Mm. And that and so McAuliffe says there's no place in this country for racists. There's no no place in Virginia. 
Well, I'm sorry. I don't re- I don't see a law that says that. I mean, there's place in this country for child molesters. There's a place. I mean, it may the place may be jail, but you know, people who are unfashionable or who uh, or who are offensive. I'm sorry, they are still U.S. citizens with the rights of citizens. But call it, of course, on the eve of the presidential election, wanted to sign a blanket pardon to, to tens of thousands of felons in the state of Virginia, giving them permission to vote so that naturally they could vote for the felon party, which is otherwise known as the Democratic Party. And when told he couldn't do that, he said, well, I'll stay up all night just signing individual individual pardons, one after another, because we got to get out the felon vote. <laughs> now, this is, this is you know, so felons are okay. Armed robbers, murderers, rapists, they're okay. But somebody who holds politically incorrect views, no matter how obnoxious, they, they are not uh, apparently citizens of Virginia or, or the United States. Now, unfortunately, the, the, in the land of the free, we have a long history of demonizing certain political groups, whether on the right or the left, for what, for whatever reason, and then depriving them of ordinary civil rights. In during at during World War One, the international workers of the world, the industrial workers of the world, the so-called wobblies, were handing out peace pamphlets. And uh, before the U.S. entry into the war, when the U.S. entered the war, the Wobblies were arrested. And even though they destroyed most of the pamphlets and they were no longer handing them out, they were arrested and charged with uh, uh, promoting sedition and treason. Now, this was this was not simply not true. It was a lie. The attorney general of the United States knew it was a lie. And these people were convicted. What were the, what they were really being convicted of is that they were, they were socialists. And they were, they were, of course, they're completely ineffective. The IWW never, <laughs> never could accomplish anything because they were so hopelessly disorganized. But it, it disheartened a lot of people. The head of the IWW ended up moving to the USSR because, uh, he, he realized that in the United States, he'd already been put on trial for murder of, a, of a, the governor of Idaho. And which he was certainly not complicit in. And even the Republican prosecutor during that trial insisted on a fair trial. And, and, and so a big Bill Haywood got off. By the way, that prosecutor was the great William Bora, the great, the great Republican isolationist of the 1930s. So there have been throughout, throughout American history, there have been good people who, to quote Thomas More, would give the devil himself the benefit of law. Uh, but there are also people who, if you can, if you can identify somebody, you know, he's a wife abuser, he's a communist, he's a Nazi, he's a Ku Kluxer, he's a member of the mafia. So you, orga- you, 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 acu- you accuse them of belonging to some kind of outcast group, and then you deprive them of all the rights of due process. And that's exactly, you know, Al Capone was put in jail on the, and, and, uh, for, uh, uh, by the IRS on, on tax evasion charges, which every time they retry the case at the University of Chicago, at least most times they retry it, they can't get a conviction because they didn't have the proof. So he was, uh, you know, he, yes, of course he was a gangster because he <laughs> he was selling products to people that have been legal throughout human history, and then some lunatics decide to criminalize 
the, the, the use of alcohol in the United States. As far as I'm concerned, Al Capone was doing a public service and, it, and, and somebody like Elliot Ness should have gone to jail. <laughs> By the way, Elliot Ness, who uh, what, got into a terrible accident, I think he was, uh, he was the police chief in Cleveland, and he got into a drunk driving accident. So there, there's Mr. Probity, Mr. Crusader against, uh, against uh, alcohol abuse. So, but, but, so my point is what we're seeing once again is this pattern. If you disagree with the official position of the regime from any perspective, and that and that includes if you think uh, if you think you catch your wife within the arms of another man, you can slug the other man and and maybe push your wife around a little bit, which I don't approve of. But I mean, this is historically one of the aspects of marriage which has been uh, has been accepted around the world in every culture at all times. But now, even looking the wrong way, even putting a harsh word or raising an eyebrow, you're accused of, of spousal abuse. Right. So, so uh, that is essentially what we're dealing with. Yes, of course, the it's of course Ku Kluxers and alt right people are disagreeable and unpleasant. But but they they pose no threat to public order. Now, of course, you have there's a proposal now from uh, some black congressman that you know, that it, we should have a federal law against displaying uh, displaying any Confederate uh, memorabilia, the flag or anything or uh, a statue of Lee or or or, or whatever. In other words, uh, we're going to be imitating. Uh, the following the example of revolutionary governments like Jacobin France and, and the Bolshevik USSR and Nazi Germany. Do you know, Dr. Fleming, I was thinking about the that, that statue. As I said, I don't really follow the news and I, I just watched some clips here and there, but the, the Confederate statue being pulled down and I thought about Confederate monuments that really matter to me. Things like Stone Mountain or the uh, statue of uh, General Jackson uh, yes. at, at uh, I'm trying to remember if it's at Sharpsburg or Manassas, but there's the beautiful black statue. It says, there stands Jackson mm-hmm. like a stone wall. And yes. I was thinking how the despair I would feel if I was there to watch any of those be defaced, right? That I already accepted that this country continues to destroy itself. But it's such a, it's such a visceral, visible reminder to me of how much we hate ourselves to, to do something like that. And, and if I were to watch anything from one of those, my Confederate heroes being defaced, I, I just, I don't even, I just tried to mentally picture that. And I was very, uh, very dismayed, I suppose would be a mild way of putting it. When you look at Stephen, well, how far we've come since I was in Charleston in 1960 when they began the uh, the period of the centennial of the uh, war between the states. And what I saw on the Charleston Battery were car after car with northern license plates, New Jersey, Ohio, Indiana, everywhere. And all these northern people came down to watch the ceremonial firing on Fort Sumter. or I, Actually, they, they began with the firing on the Star of the West, which was uh, a steamer going out to uh, carry supplies and reinforcements to Sumter. And uh, there was this was a non-controversial event, north and south, black and white. The, uh, and that between 1960 and 1990, 
the everything got turned upside down. That uh, an important, a crucial part of American history, one in which a certain understanding had been reached, certainly by 1920, that both sides fought for good motives. Although I still, uh, I, I still to this day can't figure out what the northern motive was. Uh, other than saving the glorious Union, which they destroyed by conquest, they turned a Union into an empire. But uh, that that we agreed on this, and that Lincoln was a great man, but so was Robert E. Lee. And it was a modus vivendi that allowed people from different regions with different points of view to remain courteous and civil to each other. This is what I was taught in high school in South Carolina, that 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 uh, that slavery was bad but that the South wasn't fighting for slavery, that Lincoln was a well-intentioned man, and that if, the, um, if he had lived, that Reconstruction wouldn't have been imposed. And even as late as the Ken Burns Civil War series, now that's a very anti-Southern series, but because of uh, so much film footage from Shelby Foote, the fact is that most Southerners could watch that series and be proud. And that's not that long ago. That's 20 years ago at most. So in the pa- even in the past 20 years, we've gone from uh, honoring de- the, 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 the fallen heroes and the dead leaders of that war as Americans, no matter how misguided, but great-souled Americans. We've gone now to treating them like Nazi war criminals. And this is partly due, of course, to the great accomplishment of John Dewey and American education that keeps people entirely ignorant of their history. So that's a, that's a, uh, so that there's, there's no, you can't make a counter argument because nobody knows anything. But it's also, it is, it is, it is the conversion of an historic nation, namely the United States, into an ideological project like, like France under Robespierre or Russia under Lenin. And so we are now living in this ideological state which criminalizes all forms of thought that are not completely consistent with the ongoing project of revolutionizing the human race. Hmm. I just think it's, it's no, it's, it, they're removing the safety of, of going out to go see any of these historical monuments oh, yes. or uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, to all these, uh, to all these things. You're talking about his history and, and knowing our history. We've talked about, the president, we've talked about the police, we've talked about the media. What about the protesters themselves, Dr. Fleming? Do, do they really know what, what they're talking about? Can we discuss some of the terms that we see on the signs? So, you know, uh, we're, we, we don't, you know, we're against hate, we're against racism, yeah. fascism, uh, alt-right, yeah. alt-left. Can you walk us through some of the real definitions versus yeah. the purported definitions? Yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm starting a series. I put the first instance up. I'm calling it Simple Simon's Political Lectionary and or Lexicon. And that is to start defining terms so that when we use them on the website, when we use a term like liberal, we know what it means or socialist or conservative or or uh, or uh, far right or new right or fascist, anti-fascist. Um, a key term. Is the ter- are the ter- are the pair fascist and anti-fascist? Because during World War II, Roosevelt's ideological sloganeers, 
decided that they would cash the struggle in over Europe, especially, but also with Japan, as a struggle between democracy, anti-fascist democratic countries with uh, fascist countries, which they named as, in specifically, Italy, Germany, and Japan. Now, this involves uh, quite, a, quite a sleight of hand, because for one thing, the New Deal is uh, a, an explicit imitation of Mussolini's uh, basic fascist program in Italy in the 1920s. So <laughs> if, you, if the United States wanted to put down fascism, it should have started, uh, started right here in Washington, D.C., and similarly, uh, the if you wanted to put down National Socialism, a good play either start in Washington or Moscow, because Stalin was creating the, the, a greater experiment in National Socialism than uh, than Hitler <laughs> was able to do. So, uh, fascism, properly defined, is a movement that grows out of uh, socialism. So it shares with socialism the notion that the nation exists, that the, that the nation is, and, and its government is an agent of destiny and doing good for the people of the country. So it is right for the nation through its government to own the means of production, for example. So there are a lot of socialist elements. However, uh, the fascists also emphasized uh, order and stability. So they were very much against uh, anarchism and uh, communist demonstrations, and they also respected public property, I mean, private property and in individual initiatives, so various aspects of capitalism, so long as they were compatible with their basic socialist agenda. They were pagan, that is, they were non-Christian, but they also understood that both in, both in Italy and in Spain, they understood the historic role of the Catholic Church in those cultures, and so they did their best to accommodate. Mussolini, a lifetime atheist and anti-Catholic, nonetheless uh, crafted the Concordat with the Vatican that allowed serious Catholics to get involved in the Italian political process, which they had avoided up until that point. And without that concordat, the Christian Democratic parties that emerged in Germany and Italy after the war wouldn't have been wouldn't have been possible because Catholics really were not supposed to participate in in politics with a Masonic anti-Catholic government. <clears throat> so, uh, fascism means something real, but in the hands of the Roosevelt propagandists, it simply meant whatever you didn't like this week. And after the war, the far left, principally the communists, because communists by definition are anti-fascist, even though they are far more fascistic than any movement in, in, uh, in the West. But um, so they defined fascism. A fascist was somebody who advocated anything which the communists didn't like. So, for example, if you were a, a Christian, or you believed in censorship of morals, or censorship of movies, or restrictions on drugs, you're a fascist. If you, uh, even though communists tended to be very puritanical, increasingly if you say, well, I believe in marriage, you're a fascist. If you believe in private property, you're a fascist. If you believe in, the, in enforcing the law, you're a fascist. So uh, the, the, the anti-fascist movement, of course, simply takes a term with an historical meaning, 
robs it of all real meaning, and then just creates it as a term of abuse equal to Nazism. And there are fascist aspects to Nazism, but there's a lot there's a lot else there that's particularly ugly. Now, I, you know, it's <clears throat> it's very possible. I mean, I, I'm an anti-fascist. I don't think fascism is a good idea. It's far too nationalistic. And it, it is far too idealistic about the possibility of what state governments can do and, 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 the, and their, the, their positive role in society. On the other hand, there are good aspects of it. The, the emphasis on social order, the preservation of property, the respect for religion and tradition, all of these things are secondary to fascism. But it certainly seemed a lot better in Italy than the, than the red menace, the Bolshevik menace that was uh, threatening Italy after World War I. So fascism now, however, in America means basically you're a fascist if you believe in truth or goodness or moral decency, individual responsibility, the social order. All of that is fascist. I'm, I'm quite surprised we haven't seen a movement to remove the fascists from the inside of the U.S. Congress building. I think it's in the Senate chamber, <laughs> right? Yeah. Get, get rid of those yeah. fascistic symbols. You know, it's amazing that in Italy, of course, you can't you can't look down the street at a sewer grate without seeing that in the year such and such of the, the fourth year of the fascibus restituti, so the the fasces restored, and then you'll have the the the, the, the fascist symbol, and it's it's uh, everywhere. I, my wife and I, a year and a half ago, we were in Rome. And we went to see this funny house. It had been a, a banker's house, but it was given to Mussolini. And so it's a museum to the career and family of Mussolini. And this is in the middle of Rome. Not to mention uh, people, the people who go to see where he was murdered by the partisans uh, with the support of the uh, U.S. Army. Or his birthplace draws hundreds of thousands of visitors. They can't stop this in Italy because the Italians are a, a comparatively honest people when compared with uh, uh, the, the kind of American public mentality that is always rewriting the past. You probably are not old enough to remember. Back, way back when in the Cold War, there was a joke. Somebody is trying to understand uh, the difference between the Soviet Union and 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 uh, the West and says, well, <clears throat> in the West, the future is open because you can make of your life anything you want to and you don't know what's going to happen. But the past is fixed in the Soviet Union. The future is fixed because we know it's just going to be as miserable as today. And there's no and there's no hope, whereas the past keeps on being reinvented. Hmm. Well, that's America. Now we reinvent the past every day. Well, I had gotten you on fascism, Dr. Fleming. What other terms would you like to go, go over? <laughs> well, racism, for example. I mean, what is a racist? Originally, a racist was somebody who held to a theory that, that uh, the, the races of men were quite different, maybe even evolved separately. And, uh, you know, that was, that was believed in some in, uh, for example, at Debose Review before the war between the states. And that uh, the more evolved races, the, the white and yellow races, were uh, vastly superior in all respects and that they should rule, especially the white race should rule and the inferior races should be uh, kept in subjugation. This was the white man's burden. Yeah. 
Well, although the white man's burden, when 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 Kipling says take up the white man's burden, what he said, what he means there, of course, is that you're going to create an empire like the British Empire. That means you've got to rule it in the interest of the people you rule it. The white man's burden is to provide law and justice and social order and educational possibilities. So rather than being an exaltation of being white, it is a burden. Now, we can laugh at that. We could say how racist it is. But, you know, it was a Kipling was arguing that imperialists have a moral responsibility, as they certainly do. That's why, for example, the idea that after we destroyed Iraq, let's just leave. That's an immoral proposition. Hmm. I mean, you destroy somebody's country for no reason. And then you say, well, it's up to them to fix it now. Well, that's that's morally preposterous. So if you're going to create an empire. Then, then, then the British, had, in my view, had no right to abandon their empire. They should have fought for it because what they had given to Africa and India was something precious. And it, it, they were wrong to acquire the empire, but even wronger to abandon it at, at, uh, until these countries were in a position when they were ready. The first thing that happened when they abandoned the subcontinent was that Muslims and Hindus went into an incredibly violent and blood th- uh, uh, bloody civil war. So, I mean, that it was clearly a, a, a terrible thing. And, of course, that was uh, Lord Mountbatten, the way of uh, fault, the way of the, the incompetence with which the uh, separation of India and Pakistan was accomplished. But, so, today a racist is somebody who prefers his children to somebody else's children. A racist is somebody who thinks that Obviously, different ethnic groups and and races are different. That doesn't mean one is better. The idea that the races are all the same and it's just an accident of skin color, of course, is scientific nonsense. We know that they have a different distribution of physical, intellectual, emotional, and artistic qualities but uh, among the different uh, racial groups. it, It is simply a fact that it can be shown from studies of uh, newborns in hospitals that, for example, if you put a blanket on an African-American child, it'll kick it off. The white child will kick it off. The Asian child will accept it, you know, because they're temperamentally wired different. Uh, you know, obviously, African-American males have an incredible athletic advantage. It's something it's it's an evolutionary distinction, just in this way that different breeds of animals have, have different advantages. Doesn't mean one race is better than the other. Should I should I simulate the the collective sucking in of air of you implying such a thing, Dr. Fleming? <gasps> you know, and, I, and again, I go back to Groucho Marx. Uh, you know, who are you going to believe? You know, me or your lying eyes? All you have to do is <laughs> is look at the various uh, sports leagues in the United yeah. States and look at the racial distribution and tell me that all the races are equal. Obviously, empirically, uh, it's not true. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of the hilarious things is if if a sportscaster ever dares to hint that the reason there are so few Negro Olympic swimmers is that it's not because they had crocodiles in African rivers, but because they have a high bone mass and muscle mass in, you know, and this means that it's hard for them to float. And uh, and so they have a, a greater difference. But you can't. This is this is this is something doesn't mean black people are inferior any more than it means that black people are superior because Usain Bolt can run faster than anybody ever recorded in human history. 
You know, so I mean, these are these are uh, these are obvious advantages. It's just like what was it? Uh, was it John McEnroe? It was some tennis player uh, on late night television a couple of weeks ago. She said uh, he was said, well, uh, yeah, I think uh, Serena Williams is uh, really a top. They're one of the top women athletes in the world. So he said, why do you say woman? Said, well, because she wouldn't be seated in the top seven hundred if she were a man. Mm. Okay, alas, maybe seven hundred's a bad figure, but certainly not the top hundred. So, but you, you, these these things which we know are true, even 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 a degenerate alcoholic cigarette smoking Bobby Riggs, it has been alleged had to throw the match with Billie Jean King, and he did it for money. But you know, but they would never have a match where the top seated male in the world played the top seated female in the world. That's it's simply it not going to happen. It would be too embarrassing for the agenda. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the top, even the the, the number twenty male. It's just not going to happen. So the so all these talents, different kinds of talents, are differently distributed. For example, there are relatively few great mathematicians who are women. There are relatively a few great nuclear physicists. I've known two women nuclear physicists. They were they were brilliant people. But the, the, the statistical uh, distribution of these qualities is quite different, whereas women actually have better uh, verbal skills, as any husband can attest, better, <laughs> better verbal skills on average than men. They have the same, men and women have the same IQ, but, that, but, but the components of that IQ are, different, are differently distributed. Well, I mean, you've come on nicely to another term, Dr. Fleming, sexism. Yeah, yeah. Sexism, a sexist is anybody who understands reality, that knows that women and men are different, and that because of the differences, because these differences begin in the womb, and they are then exacerbated during uh, adolescent development, during, during puberty, and the brains are formed differently, the bodies are different, and you know, women, for example, just any, anybody who has been married or had a girlfriend knows women multitask better than men. Men concentrate on one thing, like killing a lion or kill or or fighting the enemy whereas a woman is stirring the pot minding the baby and 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 talking to her husband simultaneously and it's our we're wired we're built differently and we're wired differently because the fundamental task of the woman is the most important task of the human race which is to bear and and rear in the in from infancy the child <gasps> and the, husband, the husband's task is to protect her while she's doing that uh, to make sure she's fed and 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 uh, not attacked. I mean, this is everyone in the history of the human race till about 25 years ago knew this. I was thinking of an appropriate label to label you, Dr. Fleming, in, in the in the uh, tradition of these people. But I was going to say you you traditionalist. <laughs> <laughs> no, because not all. Tra- I'm not a traditionalist because there are many bad traditions, like, for example, modern liberalism, which should be destroyed or cannibalism. Or or in, or uh, the you know in their parts of Africa where they sexually abuse their daughters and granddaughters. I think these are bad traditions and human sacrifice. You sure I that, think these should be a limit. That's not cultural enrichment, Doctor Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I put I uh, I told a story on our website that I was at this papal encounter in Brazil when uh, under Pope John Paul II, and he was supposed to benefit from my wisdom on child development. So I gave a little lecture. And then, you know, there were there were half a million people attending these big events. But um, I ran into somebody I'd met before at another meeting, in fact, in Prague. 
and he was a Nigerian doctor, and his wife was head of the uh, health service in Nigeria. And I was giving him the usual liberal palaver about, oh, the Jesuits were so good because, you know, they, they, they didn't try to eliminate local cultures but to work with it. He just stared at me. He said, where I come from, he said, grandfathers rape their daughters and they, and they eat their own grandparents. I said, there's nothing good in this tradition. It's, you know, I said, I'm glad it's being destroyed. Well, that's something you don't hear every day. Well, but he was right. I mean, there are parts of you know, not all of Nigeria. I, mean, like the, I think the, the Christian and non-Christian Igbo were a fairly honorable people. There are. It, it's 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 it's. I'm 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 not demonizing any one culture or any one ethnic group, but there are lots of bad traditions. And I would say that our intellectual tradition since the Renaissance is one of those bad traditions. We should wipe it out. We should burn the works of Voltaire and John Locke and Montaigne. In fact, half the great books of the Western world should be set on fire and destroyed. And if you'd like to read more on this, you can go to our website. (laughs) Dr. Fleming has a recent article series about this. Uh, I'll get you on our last two terms, Dr. Fleming, and then we'll we'll probably finish up today's episode. The (laughs) alt-right and alt-left. Yeah. Well, alt-right is funny because uh, by an unfortunate accident, I I know the person who who coined it, and I'd rather not – everybody knows his name, but I'm not going to use it. But he created a website. uh, The idea is alternate or alternative right. And by – what was the alternative? Now, I have always jokingly maintained that uh, they meant uh, non-heterosexual because uh, these guys are so effeminate. But what it really, what they really meant, it was non-Christian. It's an anti-Christian, neo-pagan movement consisting of a few hundred unhappy, disgruntled losers. And uh, but it was very useful in the Trump campaign for the Washington Post to create the illusion of a vast alt-right conspiracy, which was backing Trump. And that these were the hardcore of, uh, of Trump supporters. And so, and the alt-right people, of course, love this because it gets them in the Washington Post. It's a good fundraising strategy. And, you know, it's very much, they're, 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 ex- they're a mirror image of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And, uh, it has most people, most people you meet, who believe in Confederate monuments, even most white racist neo-Confederates, and I know such people, they are not alt-right. They all go to church on Sunday. They believe in Jesus. Whereas the alt-right people have complete contempt for Christianity because it has weakened the West in, in resisting Islam and in resisting third world immigration. And I said, so you mean weaklings like Charles Martel? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, the whole idea is so utterly ridiculous, you know, that, you, you know, in the, the age of Constantine was one of the bloody ages of the world. I mean, Christians have been willing to fight for their country from the very beginning. And there were heretical Christian, Christians who said you shouldn't fight for the Roman Empire. But that was never the mainstream. And you may remember it was. John the Baptist, when, when, what does he tell the soldiers? He does not say, run away from the army. He says, don't oppress the people when you're helping the tax collector. So, uh, so anyway, they're, they're, they're absurd people and they, they take their inspiration from the European New Right, but the European New Right are serious people. I don't agree with a lot of what they say, but there, I've, I've had, uh, many discussions, not just, uh, not just through letters, but, uh, meetings in Paris. 
and uh, with uh, with uh, you know the uh, the new white the uh, nouvelle droite, but and they are uh, you know they're 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 educated, they're lucid, they're rational, they're anti Christian as well, but but they but they don't. It's not a question of cliches. But the the, the alt right is nothing, and like. I, Alain de Benoit once asked me. He was the leader of the of the uh, French New Right, and perhaps the number one uh, New Right leader in Europe. And he said, "Well, how can I make headway in the United States?" I said, "You have to drop your anti-Christian stuff because anybody who is remotely conservative in the U.S. either is a Christian or feels he has to pretend to be." So it's a it's an absurd little movement which is going nowhere. But it it is sort of. Somebody asked me the other day, and I said, you know, it's like George Gilder's book in uh, Visible, Invisible Man, where uh, the point that why do why or, or or Paul Goodman's Growing Up Absurd, why do so many young men from the from uh, inner cities, both black and white, why do they join youth gangs? Well, because they were pushed around by women, by teachers and social workers, and they 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 had no that men weren't in their family because the the men abandoned the the women and and they were left to their they were they were marginalized losers and so they join a youth gang in order to feel good about themselves in order to feel like men and that's pretty much what alt right is for uh, middle class white white kids who don't seem not to be able to make any sense out of their life and alt left. Well, all left is a Trump joke, and uh, and I think by that he meant okay. If if everything you're going to say about the irresponsible, violent, hate-filled uh, uh, people on the right who are demonstrating uh, against, against immigration, demonstrating against minority, everything bad you could say about them, well, you could say exactly the same thing about the nature of the of the Black Lives Matter movements. The people who march in the Soros-funded demonstrations, anti-capitalism—they're essentially they're 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 mentally defective losers uh, who are engaged in acts of violence to make themselves feel good. And uh, I think I think it was a brilliant insight on his part. I may maybe somebody wrote it, but you know Trump rarely follows. When he reads a speech, he reads it fairly well. But usually, when he when he's uh, when he's sailing off into the blue, he usually is making this stuff up as he goes along. <laughs> well, we're finishing today's episode, Dark Fleming. Is are there any reflections, any points that we didn't talk about today that you wanna you wanna mention before we close today's episode? Just I'll close out on one thought, and that is that. Um, it's, of course, as, as Christians and people with a sense of tradition and civilization, it's important to, uh, as Trump does, although he's none of, none of what I just called for, but as, 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 for want of a better word, conservative traditional Christians, it's important to oppose uh, anarchism and violence, whether it comes on behalf of the white race or against the white race. That all that uh, teaching hatred of other groups is uh, is not a good thing. We have to, you know, we're all children of God. On the other hand, it's also important to understand that most of what's going on has been created by agents of government in order to find new reasons for government crackdown to destroy tradition, to destroy traditional American values and patriotism, and moral decency, and that that. To, to that to that unfortunate extent, they're going to end up making Nazis and and Ku Kluxers look like they are the heroes of our time. They are not, but but today that is how 
this ideological regime treats any resistance. It has to be condemned as psychopathic. Well, thanks as always for your time, Dr. Fleming. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved. These podcasts are made possible by our paid members who ensure that our hosts and writers can contribute regularly, not on a volunteer basis. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, or if you wish to acquire rebroadcast rights, please email podcasts at fleming.foundation. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Foundation, make the most of a dark age. <laughs>